Luke chapter 11, verse 1. If you're there, say amen. Amen. And the Bible says, it came to pass that as he was praying, this is talking about Jesus, as Jesus was praying in a certain place, when he seized her, when he finished praying, one of the disciples came up to Jesus and said, Lord, teach us to pray. Someone say, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples to pray. And he said to them, when you pray, not if you pray, when you pray, it's what Christians do. Christians talk to God. And he says, when you pray, say, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done as in heaven, so in earth. Now, this is a model prayer. This is an example prayer. It's it's fine if you repeat it verbatim when you pray, but that's not the purpose or the point. Jesus is simply given a skeleton, a structure, an outline, or an approach when you pray, a how-to, a general idea. And uh, what we'll find out as we read through this, he mentions a number of certain themes in here. When you, when you see him say, Our Father, Jesus is giving us insight that prayer is about relationship. And then he says, Who are in heaven, hallowed be thy name. He's not only teaching relationship, but he's teaching reverence. The one we are entering into relationship with, it is to reverence him. It is to respect him, to be in awe of him. And the next thing he teaches here is thy kingdom come, thy will be done. He's teaching submission or priority, not our will, his will. Right away, he's giving us some ideas about prayer. It's about relationship. It's about reverence. It's about submission. You stop doing things your way and do things his way. He goes on here in verse 3, says, Give us day by day our daily bread. He's given us insight that prayer provides provision. God can literally provide for you if you are a person of prayer. In verse 4, it says, Forgive us our sins as we forgive everyone that is indebted to us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And here we find four more things. He sees and shows in prayer there is a mode of repentance that happens in prayer. Confessing our sins, asking for God's mercy and turning away from our sins. But not just that for ourselves, but that we do with others, that we would forgive them as well, which is reconciliation, making things right with people. If someone wronged you, the right thing to do is to make right with them just like you wronged God and God made it right between you and him. And then also he teaches restraint. Lead us not into temptation. I believe with all my heart, come as you are. But I do not believe stay as you are. The blood of Jesus draws us. The spirit of Jesus draws us not to be the same person, but to be transformed. And so when when we pray to God and when we speak to him, we can begin to say, God, teach me restraint to resist temptation and deliver us from evil. God gives us access to deliverance in prayer. And then Jesus continues to speak to give us insight in prayer in verse five. He says, which of you here has a friend and you would go to your friend at midnight and say to him, friend, let Lend me three loaves. And that's kind of an awkward time to be knocking on someone's door at midnight. But see, getting your need met is not about convenience. It's about persistence. When you really have a need, you're desperate, and desperation can't wait. You go after it. And so Jesus here, he's teaching about prayer. He says, if you have not, even at the most inconvenient time, you'll be persistent till you find your need met. In verse 6, this parable he gives, he says, A friend of mine in his journeys come to me, but I have nothing to set before him. And the person, his friend in the house will answer and say, Leave me alone. Don't trouble me. You know, I, I've already shut the door. My children are with me in bed. I, I can't rise up. I'll wake up the kids. And if you've ever had kids before, you know what it's like. When you put your kids down, you don't want anything to wake them up. <laughs> and so he goes, I don't want to wake up my kids, especially at midnight. Why don't you just leave me alone and we'll take care of this tomorrow. But the Bible says here that the man, though he will not rise and give him bread because it's his friend, he'll get up and give him his friend bread because of his importunity, his persistence. Basically, 
that guy keeps knocking on the door saying, I need bread. I need bread. I need bread. I need bread. I told you I'm not getting up. My kids are asleep. But the guy keeps knocking. I need bread. I need bread. And finally, one wheel caves to the other, and he gets up and gives the man bread just so there could be peace in his home and not wake up the kids. This is the illustration, the parable that Jesus gives concerning prayer. And then he gives another one here. Look at verse 9 through 13. In English, it works out pretty good. He gives an acronym, ASK. He says, ask. Everyone say, ask. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Everyone that asks, receives. And everyone that seeks, finds. And everyone that knocks, it's open. Jesus is talking about prayer. Then he goes on and says this. If, if any of you, if you have a child, and your child asks of you, and he was, can I have, can I have uh, uh, some bread to eat? What parent would give their child a stone? Or if your child asked for a fish, what parent would give their child a snake? Or if your child asked for an egg, which parent would give their child a scorpion? And here's the context, the point Jesus drives here in the last verse that we're going to read here today. If you, being evil, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him? There is so much in those verses that we just read there. And I'm just going to talk to you for the next few moments here in the next couple of weeks on this, this thought, this focus. Teach us to pray. Everyone say, teach us to pray. Amen. What, what is prayer? What is prayer? Simply defined, when you look at the word in the language of the scripture and you look at the Greek word, it is one word composed of two words. The first part of it is pros, which is a preposition of direction. It means towards. It's a direction. So the first word used in the word prayer here in the scripture means to go towards, to go in a direction towards something. When you say pray, you're heading in a direction. The other part of the word, I'm not even going to pretend I know how to pronounce it, but it's yukamahi. That sounds pretty fun to say, but I'm probably saying it wrong. But what this word means, it is to wish. The first part of the word of prayer is to go in a direction towards. The other part that makes and comprises this word prayer is to wish. To, by implication, to, to request, to pray to God. Now, when you see prayer defined as a wish, you kind of might scratch your head and think, well, that's a little different. You know, when we, when we think of terms of a wish, it's some far out idea. It's kind of like, you know, uh, uh, if you have the tradition with your kids or growing up as a child, if you ever had a birthday cake, usually... Uh, uh, I've, I've seen it so many times at different birthday parties and gatherings where the parents, before the, they, uh, the, the, the child blows out the candles, will say, close your eyes and make a wish. And then the child will close his eyes. He would think real hard and blow out those candles. And, you know, it's just kind of a fun gesture, a fun tradition. We really don't think anything of it as if what they blew out those candles for is going to come to pass because it's just a wish. It's wishful thinking. Maybe you here are still hoping from your ninth birthday, you remember you're now 40 years old, you're now 28 years old, and when you were nine years old, you, you wished for a pony, and you're still hoping for that, and you're still leaning and uh, relying on that wishful moment that you blew out the candles on your birthday cake. It's just a wish. It's kind of like, I wish to be a millionaire. I wish to have, you know, uh, five inches added to my height. I wish to be tall. It's just not going to happen. It's wishful thinking. So with that in mind, what's the difference between a wish and a prayer? When the word wish is literally tied in to prayer, what's the difference between a wish and a prayer? The difference is faith. The difference is faith. Some people, when they pray, they really don't believe what they're praying about is going to happen. And so really, they're just wishing. 
If you've ever prayed about something and you bring it to God, but you really don't think it's going to happen, that's not faith. That's merely wishing. But there's other people that when they pray, they expect and they believe by faith and they have exactly what they pray for. You read this from the mouth of Jesus Christ over and over again. Jesus makes this statement. According to your faith, be it unto you. Jesus said, if you ask anything in my name, you shall have it. Giving glory to the Father. Jesus, over and over, if you would ask with faith, not doubting, not unbelieving, you can have what you pray for if you would agree in faith, in prayer. It's the difference between wishing and prayer. It's the faith factor. When you believe what prayer is about and you believe the one you are talking to, that you are communicating with. Now unto him who is able, it says in Ephesians 3.20, who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or even think. See, when you are talking to Jesus in prayer, it's not like talking to your mom or your dad, your aunt, your cousin, your pastor, your friend. You are talking to the one who is eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God. There's no bottom to that well. There's no end to his limitless power. God can do all things. But when you combine those two words of direction and wish and you get that word pray that we just read in Scripture, it means this. It means to supplicate, to worship, to earnestly pray. Now, supplicate, that's not a very common word that we use these days. But supplicate means to ask or to beg something earnestly or humbly. When we pray, When you supplicate, when you are talking to God, you are putting emotion into it. There is an earnestness that comes. There is a fervor, a fire in your approach, a faith in your approach, and it comes humbly. When we pray, it is a humbling thing because you're in a room by yourself and you're talking to thin air. And if someone walked in on you, they might commit you to the madhouse. What is this guy doing in the room by himself talking to a wall? Why is his face in a chair praying where somebody sat? What in the world is going on? But when we pray, it is us humbling ourselves and emotionally breaking down before an all-powerful God and bringing our needs to him. The disciples here in what we read in Luke 11.1, they wanted to pray. And this is the case I find for many believers is that they they want to pray. They just don't know how to pray. Prayer is taught. Prayer is learned. The disciples said, Jesus, they're watching Jesus pray. And, 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 and Jesus is there praying on the sidelines and they're just moved by it. They're stirred by it. They don't totally understand it. They don't completely get it. But there's something about what's happening over there that is pulling them in and is create a curiosity inside of them. And if you're here today and you're not familiar with the atmosphere of people lifting up their voice or crying or lifting their hands, perhaps you feel like the disciples felt that day. You can't quite figure it out, but just something appealing about it, something drawing about it, something endearing about it that you've not seen before. You've been around some things, but you've never been by things quite like this. It's pulling you in. The disciples, they were believers and they've been around religious people before. They're raised as Hebrews. They're raised as Jews. But when Jesus prayed, it was as one with authority. Just like when Jesus taught. It wasn't like everyone else that taught. It was different. And when you're around somebody that really has a hold of God in the spirit world, it's just drawing, attractive, Something inside of you says, I wonder, it's kind of weird. I don't get it, but man, I feel something. What is it? Anyone know what I'm talking about here today? Something pulling you in. But it's not just, it's not something that happens by osmosis. It is something that is learned. It is something that is taught. And so the disciples, they observed Jesus praying and they recognized he had a hold of something. And they said, we would like what you have. Can you teach us 
how to do that. Can you teach us to get to that place? And Jesus, he didn't say, well, no, well, you know, I'm, you're just human. There's no way you can't be spiritual. You can't, you're, you're ignorant, unlearned fishermen, you're tax collectors. You're, you know, you guys are shady. No, he taught them how to pray. Even Judas, he taught how to pray. And before we get into the how to today, I want us to talk a little bit of the what and the why or what you would call the the purpose of prayer. Why? Why pray? Why do we pray? What do we pray? So the question is, what is prayer? Prayer, simply put, is communication. Just like I'm talking to you, it's communication. And the communication, the purpose, the intent of this communication is relationship. Communication is for relationship. At least it should be. Some people just communicate because it's a one-sided thing. They're not interested in relationship. It's always helpful to think in terms, when we talk about prayer and relationship, in terms of a marriage. Communication, or lack thereof, impacts the relationship. And not all communication is beneficial for the relationship. Just because you're communicating by yelling at your spouse doesn't mean you're having a healthy relationship. There are a lot of types of rela- uh, communication. You, you, you could, if you yelled at your spouse for 30 minutes, you could say, well, I communicated for 30 minutes. That's not a healthy relationship. You know, if every time you walked in the door of your house and you said, you know, woman, make me a sandwich, and that's all you said, and you sat down, that's not a healthy relationship. You might be communicating something, but that's not a healthy relationship. The relationship there is selfish. It is neglected. It is hurt. It is harmed. So there are different tones. There are different types of communication with people, just like it is with husband and wife or even your coworkers, the same way it is with God. There's some relationships that you're comfortable and you could you can kind of laugh. You could share more personal information with some people versus other people. It's relationship. It's communication. So it is in prayer. So when we pray, we are attempting to develop and strengthen our relationship with Jesus Christ. There are multiple avenues of communication in prayer that you can travel on this road in this walk with God. And you want to practice every healthy way possible. And you want to avoid every unhealthy way possible in this thing called prayer. So in this series, we're going to be discussing various channels of prayer and how to pray in those manners, in those channels. Because not all, com- not all conversations the same. And not all prayers the same. Just like, you know, I, I, you might raise your voice at somebody. But it doesn't mean that's unhealthy because there's some things we need to raise our voice about for certain pe- purposes. Perhaps it's loud in the room and, and you, you want to make sure you get your, your voice across. Or perhaps the, the need is urgent or pressing. So there's, there's more emotion inside of your voice. Or perhaps there's some hurt or there's some harm or there's some desperation and there's a tear in your voice. Just like that happens with your friends and your family. It is that way with God. Not Prayer is not monotone. Prayer is not vanilla. Prayer is not one gear. Prayer is multiple gears. But it's unfortunate people never exercise all six gears or eight gears of prayer. They just kind of hang out in first gear. And there's nothing wrong with first gear. But I want you to know God wants to take you further down the road and faster down that road. If we could ever learn to realize that Jesus Christ is not some thought or figment of our imagination. He is is real. He's more real than the material world that we see itself. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. And so if we can understand when we talk to him in terms of a relationship or as a person, I'm telling you, your prayer life can drastically change if you begin to have discussions in different ways with Jesus in prayer. Now, why pray? Well, here's a simple one. It works. (laughs) Prayer works. Primary purpose, though, should we get closer to Jesus? Because it's about relationship. You can pray about a lot of things. 
But if we're not careful, all our prayer is, is about things. And it's not about the main thing. It's not about Jesus Christ. It's not about our relationship with him. If all I ever did, I've been married 13 years now. If all I ever did was have conversation with my wife about things I don't have and things I wish I had and things that upset me and things that bother me. And I never, I never appreciate her. I never voice my appreciation. I never embrace her and I never show my, my love towards her. I'm telling you what we would not be married 13 years today. Or we could be married on paper, but worlds apart. I don't want to be Christian on paper and worlds apart from Jesus Christ. I want to make sure I have a healthy relationship with Jesus Christ to know him. Paul said it like this in Philippians 3.10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection it's a marvel, my friend, to consider that God Almighty invited us to this thing called prayer. In fact, not only did he invite us, he encourages us. He encourages disciples time and time again to do it, to pray. When we realize that when we pray, we have the audience of the king of kings. We have audience with the Lord of lords. Look, you can admire an athlete or some sort of celebrity, but the chances of you ever getting audience with that athlete, that celebrity, that band member is nil to none. You might be able to, you know, pay your way to get some backstage pass and, 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 and scream for a moment, almost faint and, you know, wipe the tears from your eyes because you, you almost got to see them eye to eye, but they passed by you, but you were that close. But I'm telling you, when you pray, when you talk to Jesus Christ, you have audience with the creator of the heavens and the earth. When you understand that prayer is relationship and the one that you are entering into relationship is God himself, the one that put breath in your lungs, the one that spoke creation into existence. That's a pretty amazing opportunity. What a divine invitation you and I have. In fact, he encourages us to talk to him. And it's not likely you'll get audience with these other people, but you can get audience with the king of kings. Now, in prayer, there's a few things you can find here. and You can jot them down if you like. Here's just a few things. This is not all things, but here's a few things you can find in prayer. In prayer, you can find forgiveness. God can forgive all of your sins as you pray and talk to him. In prayer, you can find healing. Whether it's physical, emotional, mental, God can heal you in prayer. When you talk to him, he wants to heal whatever it is in your world. In prayer, you can find direction. You may find like you're wandering aimlessly, but prayer is kind of like that GPS. It's God's positioning system, and he begins to, to direct you. The Bible begins to order your steps in his word. It's the power of prayer. You can find direction. In prayer, you can find answers. When you begin to bring your questions to God in prayer, he can answer you. Whether it be in a still, small voice, whether it be an audible, loud voice, or whether it be a very strong impression, God can answer. In prayer, we can find transformation. God can change you from what you were into something you never thought you ever would be. It's the power of of prayer. In prayer, you can find deliverance. Whatever you're bound by, whatever you're addicted to, whatever substance that you cannot break free from, whether, whether it's going to be drugs or alcohol, cigarettes, pornography, gambling, whatever it is, I promise you, if you could ever find a place in prayer, God is extending to somebody in prayer the opportunity to be delivered. In prayer, you can find relationship. And that's really what it's all about. It's relationship. You can know Jesus Christ and he can know you in a way that you thought he never did. In fact, in prayer, you can find focus in prayer. You can find perspective without prayer. Our minds are spread thin and, and without prayer. We're constantly looking around. We just went through this series of holy grounds and we talked about the thorny grounds, the, the distractions that choke our heart and the, the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches. But if you ever can find yourself in prayer, in prayer, you can weed out all those distractions and God can give you focus. God can give you perspective. The thing that used to always haunt you every day, like I got to get this car. I got to get this job. 
I got to get this. I got to go there. I got to be liked by that. The things that seem so pertinent, so uh, uh, imperative, so essential in your world. There's a day it's happened so many times where I've prayed and all of a sudden the things of this world grew strangely dim as I set my affections on things above and not on things of this earth. And God just brought clarity, perspective, and fear went away. Anxiety went away. And I was focused. It's what you can find in prayer. There's a lot of things you can discover in prayer. See, you and I, we walk in the flesh every day. This is why we must pray every day. You may, you, may, you may come to this altar, repent, get filled with the Holy Ghost, get baptized in Jesus' name, and that's what we want to see happen. We want to see John 3, 5. We want to see Acts 2, 38. We want to see people born of water and spirit. We want to see that awesome thing happen. But listen, the next day, the moment you walk out of this building, you are walking out into a war zone. The moment you leave this facility, your flesh is intact still. The moment you walk down your stairs to your basement and you slip and your shin catches the corner of that stair, you're going to feel it. Your flesh does not go away. If you're here and you're a guy, you're going to be a guy the rest of your life. Your flesh will not go away. That is why you must pray every day. It doesn't matter what age you must pray every single day for every day. There's breath in your lungs. There's flesh in you. We pray Because we want to be changed. We pray so we enter not into temptation. I don't have this verse on the screen or anything today, but you could jot this down in Matthew 26, verse 40 and 41. Jesus said this. What could you not watch and pray with me for an hour? And he goes like this. He goes, the reason why you need to pray is your spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. See, everyone in this room, we want to go to heaven. We want to succeed. We want to do the will of God. We want the deeper things of God. But our flesh is weak. That's what Paul talked about in the book of Romans, chapter 7, verses 13 on down. Paul's talking about the things that I want to do, I find myself not doing. But the things I don't want to do, I find myself giving into them. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall free me? Who shall deliver me from this body of death? He's talking about that battle of the flesh and the spirit. Paul went on to reiterate that in Galatians, chapter 5, verse 16. 16 and 17. He says, this I say, then walk in the spirit. So you do not fulfill the lust of the flesh because the lust, the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. What Paul is saying here is, look, you need to pray because if you don't pray, you're not walking in the spirit. That's the only way to walk in the spirit is to walk in prayer, constantly living a life of prayer. How many want to overcome this flesh of ours. How many want to overcome this sinful nature? Amen. Everyone say pray. Now, when we pray, we're not informing God of something. He already knows. I hate to break it to you, but he already knows. God knows. So when we pray, we're not informing God of something. But when we pray, we are admitting something to God. That's what's going on. I'm not informing God of something. That God's like, oh, my goodness. I did. Wow. How did I miss that? Gabriel, I want you to put that on my to-do list. No, God knows. But when we pray, we are admitting something to God. We are acknowledging something to God. And more it's more for us. It's not for him. It's for us to acknowledge. It's for us to admit. Remember the word pray in the, the, the original language. And when we talk about supplicate, it means to humble yourself. It is humbling to acknowledge I need help. It is humbling to admit I can't do this on my own. It is a humbling experience to open your mouth and to pray to a God that you do not see. It is a humbling act, but it is an essential act that we must do. I'll give you one healthy pattern in prayer. We're going to talk more different ways to pray over these next few weeks. But here's a simple acronym you can remember. I, I, I think it's a helpful one, especially since this church, we really like the book of Acts in the Bible because the Acts, if you didn't know this, is the original church. It is the only historical document known to man that is that is made available to us about the original church. I'm not talking about, uh, you know, uh, 300 AD, 500 AD, 1500. I'm talking about the actual church. The day it was birthed. It's found in your Bible in the book of Acts. 
And so we want to make sure we model ourselves after the book of Acts. And the book of Acts is exciting. That's what church should be. Church should be exciting. There should be life. There should be miracles, signs and wonders and joy and deliverance and transformation. And so if you write down Acts, it, I want, uh, this can help you if you're trying to find a rhythm in prayer or a basic guide in approach, a model to pray. And so Acts, you know, A, adore. When you start off prayer, start off adoring God. Just compliment him. When you remember what I said, uh, think in terms of relationship. If every time I open the door and I walk into my house and it's just like a demand to my wife or to my kids, that's not a good relationship. But if I open that door and I walk in, I say, hey, babe, you did a great job. Man, this house looks great. Oh, did, oh, that smells wonderful. You're the best cook ever. Oh, you're, you're, I love you. I give her a big hug. All these. That's that's a better approach. That's the better thing to do, to appreciate who you're talking to before you ask anything of who you're talking to. You say, well, that's kind of like manipulative. No, you can genuinely adore God when you approach him. In fact, there's times I pray I never get beyond that part. I just stay there and I just adore him. And adoring him sounds like this. God, I love you. God, you're awesome. God, you're wonderful. Jesus, I find no fault in you. I find no error in you. God, you've never let me down. God, you've never disappointed me. I thank you, Jesus, Lord, that I have health. Lord, I'm 34 years old. There's people that have never lived this long. God, there's people that didn't wake up today, but I did. Thank you for life. God, I thank you. I have three children, God. There's people that would like to have kids and they never had them. But God, for whatever reason, you've allowed me to have kids. I love you, God, and I thank you for three healthy children. I thank you for my wife, God. I thank you, Jesus, we've been married. You can find a lot to be adoring God about. God, you're good. God, you're great. God, just think of anything positive when you start to pray. So when you, when you start off prayer, this is just one way to approach God. There's many ways, but this is one biblical model is begin with adoration, accolades, and acknowledge him. Just talk about him. Just talk about Jesus. And then after that, when you, when you just feel like he's heard you and, and you've got a hold of him, move to the next one. And that's confession. Begin to confess the one you've acknowledged. Begin to confess to the one you're adoring and say, God, I'm sorry for my sin. I'm not, God, you're perfect, but I'm not perfect. God, I gossiped about somebody today. God, I, I stole something. God, I'm, I'm, I'm so sorry. Lord, I had lustful thoughts. God, I fell into pornography. God, I asked you to forgive me. God, forgive me. I confess to you my mistakes. God, I, I, I messed up and I, I, I did this again. God, forgive me. I, I really have this bad attitude towards my coworker. God, forgive me. God, I, I, I cussed and I, I chewed somebody out. I had road rage. God, forgive me. I confess it to you. I'm not hiding it to you. I ask for forgiveness. And I tell you what. When you do that, that is a humbling thing to do. And you have the attention of the one that you just adored. And he'll pardon you. He'll forgive you. And after you confess your sins to him and you repent, making up your mind, I want to change. The next step is thanks. Begin to thank him. You know, if someone, get, if someone forgives you your debt, you know, you say, God, you know, you go to the person like that illustration we used earlier about what Jesus said about, you know, having debt forgiven. Don't, don't, the person that forgives you $5 million that you owed them, don't just walk away from them and move on. Thank them, fall at their feet and say, thank you. Thank you for forgiving me. I owed you $5 million that I feel so much lighter. I feel so much better. And so after I confess my sins to Jesus, here's how fast forgiveness works. Forgiveness works at the speed of confession. It's clocked that fast. When you confess and unload every sin to Jesus Christ, at that moment, the Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of all our sins and to cleanse us from unrighteousness. When God forgives, here's the importance of knowing that we sinned and knowing that he forgave us. You understand that sin doesn't enter into heaven. Sin only has one location and you don't want to go there. But when God forgives you, he's helping you escape there. And so with that in mind, I say, thank you, God. Thank you for helping me to escape hell. Thank you for freeing me, God, from bondage. Thank you for being merciful. Thank you for being kind. Thank you for dying on the cross. Thank you for your blood. Thank you for your mercy. I'm telling you what, you'll get far if you can have a thankful spirit in prayer. And then after you have adored him, after you've confessed to him, and after you thanked him, then you can bring your supplications or you could submit your request to him. It's, the, it's a simple acronym, ACTS. A-C-T-S. 
You adore him, you confess to him, you thank him, and now you bring your supplication, your, you, you submit your request to him. And that's when you begin to say, God, I, I pray for my mom. Lord, she's, she's, she's sick with cancer. God, I pray for my friend at work. He's, he, he, doesn't know, he doesn't know you. He doesn't, he's, he's atheist, God. Lord, I, I pray for this person. They're, they're lost in false doctrine. God, I pray for my, my, my son. Lord, he's sick in body. God, I pray for you. You began to bring those needs to him. God, I pray for my job situation. Whatever it is, the Bible says in Philippians chapter 4, in everything by prayer. With supplication, thanksgiving, make your request made known unto God. God wants to hear from you every single request imaginable. There's nothing too small or insignificant for God. God cares. You say, man, I don't, I don't think God cares about my job. I don't think God cares that my power tool broke. God cares about everything. God is in the details. I've shared this with the church before. In, in, in the word of the Lord, there's the, 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 this one man. He borrowed a hammer, and he's, he's, he's hammering a, or an axe, and he's chopping down trees, and he's chopping down trees. The axe head flies off of the, 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 the stick, and it goes into the deep running Jordan River, and he can't access it. He can't find it. It's muddy, muddy banks, and he's like, oh, my goodness, and he starts worrying, and, and he, he's complaining because he just lost the tool that he borrowed from someone, and the the man of God comes by and he says, what's wrong? And he tells him what just happened. And he says, where did it go? And so he goes right around there. And that man of God just threw a stick in the water. And the Bible says that ax head floated to the top surface of that river and they retrieved it. If God cares enough about someone's power tool in the Bible days, I'm telling you right now, there's nothing too trivial or insignificant that you can ask God about. God loves to hear specific requests about the most detailed areas of our lives. That's the kind of God we serve if we ever learn to pray. Now, we said before, supplicate means to ask, to beg for something earnestly or humbly. God answers every prayer. Someone say every prayer. Every single prayer God answers. Here's the answer that he comes up with. Yes or no. God answers every prayer. It's either a yes or a no. And it comes in the form of now, later, or never. Yes, I'll do that right now. Yes, I'll do that later. No, I'm not going to do that right now. No, I'm not going to do that later. God's going to answer one way or the other. There's things that affect our prayer. Everyone say pray. We're trying to learn how to pray. Things that affect prayer. Faith, your faith will affect your prayer. Remember the difference between a wish and a prayer? A wish you don't really believe. But prayer is with faith. Jesus said, when you ask, believe you shall receive and ye shall have it. Now, it's not praying shallow prayers. James chapter 4 is a, a prime example. You know, the Bible says we, we, we have not because we ask not, or we have not because we ask, but we don't get it because we ask with the wrong motive. You know, like, oh, God, I, 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 want, I want a Lamborghini with spinning rims. That, that's such a, a shallow, trivial prayer. God's not going to answer. Well, yeah, God will answer it. No. <laughs> that's God's answer. I, and so when we pray, it's important that we have faith in our prayer. Things that affect our prayer, the opposite of faith would be doubt or fear. Doubt and fear will affect your prayer. If when you come into prayer and you're fearful and you have doubt, make sure your goal in that prayer is to get doubt removed and fear removed. Begin to pray. God, remove this doubt. Remove this fear. You are with me, God. You didn't give me the spirit of fear. You gave me power, love, and a sound mind. Another thing that will affect your prayer is sin. Sin absolutely will affect your prayer. God doesn't listen to the prayers of of abomination. But that's not to say that we can't bring sin to God in prayer. But if we come to God in prayer, refusing to remove sin, that's a problem. But you can always come to God with your sin. But don't come to God holding on to your sin because you want to have your cake and eat it too. No, you got to make up in your mind, I want to let go of this sin and I want to get a hold of God. God answers that prayer, but God is not obligated to answer any prayer of someone holding on to sin and wanting to hold on to God. Next is, what else affects prayer? Faithfulness. 
Man, I promise you, the more faithful you are to God, you are building up a storehouse of reserves of your prayers, and God is about to pour out. You have favor when you're faithful to God. You don't believe me? Just write down 1 John chapter 3, verses 20 through 22. It says, if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our hearts and knows all things. But if our heart condemns us not, then we can have confidence towards God. Here's what that is saying through that language. It's saying, look, your heart's emotional. And if you feel like you're you're worthless and, you know, whatever, understand God knows you. God knows you, and he's greater than your emotion. And it says, and if you get to a place in God where you know you're right with God, when you approach God, you can have confidence in your prayer. You can have persuasion. And then look at that last verse, verse 22. It says this, and we can ask whatsoever of him, and we receive it because we love him and we keep his commandments. Look, if you've been serving God faithfully, you're not out there you know, fornicating, you're not out there doing crazy things and you're serving the Lord and you're walking in the fear of God. You have the favor of God. You have the right to come to him boldly and say, God, I've been serving you faithfully. I love you. I don't love any other God. I don't love this world. I love you. You have God's undivided attention and you can ask things unlike anyone else. Motive, motive affects your prayer. Let me look at time too. We, we okay? We got a few more minutes. Prayer has different settings. I'm going to hurry up. I'm looking at time. Prayer has different settings. You can pray in solitude or you can pray in multitude. But both are essential. Jesus talked about go to your closet and pray by yourself. But Jesus also said pray with two or three gathered together in his name. There's prayer in solitude and there's a benefit to that. And there's prayer in multitude and there's a benefit to that. And if you only have one type of prayer, you're missing out. Because really, the real personal things that you got to deal with, that happens in closet prayer. But the things that you can, you can have your faith swell up and edification happen, it happens in group prayer. Prayer in solitude, prayer in multitude. We need both. Prayer has different settings such as day, afternoon, and evening. If you didn't know this, the time of day you pray, it, 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 there's, a, there's different impacts in the spirit world. There's different things that happen in the morning versus the afternoon versus the evening. And, and so when you pray in the morning, it's different than when you pray at the evening. There's a different temperature. The, the morning's more preparatory, but the evening, it's more intercession. It's more of a battle prayer. There's, and we'll get more into types of prayer throughout this series. Prayer can be emotional, and prayer also can be emotionless. Sometimes you don't feel nothing when you pray, but you still pray. I'm I'm faithful to my wife, whether I feel like marriage or not. I'm committed to my wife. I'm committed to that relationship. Feelings come and go. Feelings are futile. But here's the beauty, though. If you just stay faithful, the feelings will be more valuable. And they'll rush in in a a more in-depth way than any other feeling could ever enter in your life. To succeed in prayer. Man, I don't even know what time I started. I know it's 3 o'clock. What time did I start? We Okay. To succeed in prayer, you have, to, you have to plan your prayer. You have to plan your prayer. All right? If you want to succeed in prayer, plan your prayer. And here's some things you need to do. You need to select a time, and you need to select a place. Okay? To be successful tomorrow, plan tonight. Pick a time and a place that you're going to pray tomorrow and honor that. That, that is going to be your sacred slot for God. And then set a goal. Am I going to pray 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 40 minutes, an hour, two hours? Set a goal. If you don't ever set a goal, you're never going to hit it, okay? You're not just going to randomly, oh, my goodness, how did I become a person of 23 hours of prayer a day? No, you, you got there intentionally. I'm not saying you have to pray 23 hours a day. The next thing is if you want to be succeed, successful in prayer, remove distractions. Don't have a phone uh, in the room. Turn the phone off or on silent. Don't have any device. Remove distractions. Minimize. You've got to have a conducive atmosphere to be successful in prayer. So me intentionally, I get up before my family does. I get up before my kids do because my kids, I love them. But, you know, kids can be kind of sort of a distraction sometimes. <laughs> and so I got, I, got, I got to be diligent about having an atmosphere that is easy to pray in. Next is pray in a, um, pray in a single setting for an extended amount of time. You got, you got to make it a goal that there's going to be one segment in your day. If you pray throughout the day, pray multiple times a day, but there's got to be one slot of time that's extended, that you give more time and more thought and more emotion to God. Next up, um, yeah, I'm just going to look at the time. I'm going to hurry up. I'm going to wrap this up. 
and I'll I'll, add, I'll talk about some of these things next week because I, I really, I, I should have paid attention when I started. I think I'm usually done around 3.15. Many want to be too powerful. Few want to be prayerful. But the powerful are the prayerful. Everyone wants to be powerful, but not everyone wants to be prayerful. If you want to have power with God, you have to have prayer with God. The prayerful are the powerful. And I'm telling you, there's nothing like a man or a woman of God that has found a life of prayer. That when they lay hands on the sick, they recover. When they pray for situations, things begin to shift. Things begin to change. I want to be a person of prayer. I want to be more known for the things that happen from my prayer life than anything that happens in my pulpit life. I want to be a person connected to God in prayer. And a small congregation, we can have a large consecration. No matter how small this congregation is, we can have a large consecration. We can begin to make sacrifice and give more of our time to God. And I'm telling you, God moves in a praying church. Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. And this is, this is how the branches are connected to the vine. Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. And outside of me, you can do nothing. The only way to be connected to Jesus and to produce much fruit is to be connected to the vine. And to connect to the vine is to connect in prayer. When every time you drop to your knees in prayer and you reach out your hands and you lift up your voice, you're attaching yourself to the vine. You're attaching yourself to Jesus. Jesus. You're connected to the source. I can have this a lamp right here, and I have the cord, I have the light bulb, I have all the settings. It'd be completely ready to go, but until it's plugged in and until it's turned on, it does not perform to its purpose it was intended to perform. And until we get plugged into Jesus, until we find prayer in our lives, we will not shine as we ought to shine. Someone say amen. If we could just find 12 people, a church, no matter what size, if they can find 12 people praying an hour daily, that would be 4,380 hours of prayer in a year. I'm telling you, if things like that accumulate and build up in the kingdom of God, we have to be zealous and passionate about prayer. How serious are you about prayer? Here's a good memory verse for you to jot down is Daniel 6.10. The Bible says, Daniel, it was, it was a written law in the land that nobody can pray to God. Only pray to this king, a, a pagan king, and pray to him as a God. And the Bible says, Daniel knew the law, but he went to prayer as he did all the other times. And three times a day, in the morning, in the afternoon, in the evening, Daniel opened up his window and he prayed to the house, towards the house of God. He began to lift up his... See, Daniel loved prayer so much, he would rather die than miss his daily prayer. There's got to get something a hold of us that says, I'd rather die than miss my daily prayer. God, I'm not going to miss today's prayer session. I'm not going to miss today's hour of prayer. God, I'm not going to let it pass me by another day. Prayer works. I'm going to conclude here, this, this last couple of things here. Everyone say prayer works. Tuesday, this, this past week, I was praying, and uh, I was praying and doing my hour of prayer, and as I was coming to the conclusion of it, I was about to get up, and, and, and I was finished praying, but just, I just had this thought in my mind as I'm taking care of bills and finances. I'm like, I, we, we don't really got any money. And so I just, I, I, I knelt back down and I prayed. This is at 5.35 p.m. on Tuesday. I knelt down and I prayed. I said, God, I just, I ask that you help my wife and I need a financial blessing. And got up, went in my office and just, you know, grabbed my phone and, and I checked my email, and five minutes later in that, in that email, a friend randomly sent me a donation on PayPal for $500. Prayer works. It's not about money. 
It's about, I didn't have money. And I simply made a prayer. And in five minutes, poof, just like that, God provided. Prayer absolutely works. I don't know if you remember where you were on Wednesday at 1043 p.m. But at 1043 p.m., it was negative 24 degrees. And people's pipes were freezing in certain neighborhoods. And, and the Okineskis, their pipes froze. And they went, they, they got on, on a thread on, on the, um, there's, I got a little group of team that we pray together, a little prayer team that I text all the time. And, and they, she asked for prayer. And she said, our pipes are froze. And, and if you could pray for that. And so we, uh, she went to praying at 1043. We got a text, my wife and I. And we looked at it. And she had a little video. I tried to put it on here, but I couldn't. But it was uh, her faucet running. And she goes, that's cold water. And it's negative 24 degrees. And our wa- water's running. Their water was froze, but they went to prayer. And in prayer, God thawed out cold water and gave them cold water so they had water throughout their, their, their home. That's the power of prayer. God did that this past Wednesday at 1043 p.m. at negative 24 degrees. In fact, this, this past Friday, Elia and Dave, the Gustafsons, they're not, they're not here today. They're out in California. They're going to be traveling back this week. They were at a church conference there in Stockton, California. And at 10.30 p.m., a prayer session broke out in that church service. And, she, and they were praying for healing. And for those who may know, some uh, do not know, uh, their daughter, Salem, she's been diagnosed with CP, with cerebral palsy. And she's just a precious young girl. And we love her so much. And we've been praying for her. And they're praying for healing. And so uh, she was in a nursery at this church. It's a, it's a large church. It, the, the place seats 6,000 people. It's a big place. And, 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 and so she had to, like, make, like, the, the two-mile walk to the nursery. And so she gets up to go get her baby. And she's coming. She's just like this Holy Ghost fit comes over her like a tsunami and on her way she just she starts seeing people and she starts praying for people you know how sister Gustafson is and so she she went up to this one person this lady that caught her attention in a red dress and Elliot just put her hand on that lady's throat and began to pray for her the lady had two large lumps on her throat and as she prayed for her instantly those lumps dissolved and that lady like be gross she puked them up and then, and then Ellie just looked at that, and she moved on. And then she moved on, and all of a sudden, there was a couple that the Holy Ghost led her to, and she, she prayed for that couple. And, and she's, like, kind of in a rush because she wants to go get her daughter to bring her daughter into the service to be prayed for. And then she's just having her Holy Ghost conundrum, praying for folks on the way, and she just keeps approaching the nursery. She finally gets to the nursery, and there's Sayla. And she, and, and she goes to get Sayla. Sayla is, is saying, my, my hip hurts, my hip hurts. And she never complains about her hip and it's 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 a point of need in her her body and in her condition it's usually about her her ankle her lower leg and so it's she goes why is your why is your hip hurt and she just owie mommy owie and so she just she gets her by the hand starts walking and she notices that the one leg that kind of that clefts in it was straightened and she was walking just like grace walks just like eating walks just like uh, the regular normal children walk and then and then the next day when dave picked up when dave picked up sayla usually when they pick her up her legs will cross over it's just part of the condition because she can't differentiate i don't know how to explain it all but they were trying to explain it to me but every time they pick her up her legs are stiffened and straightened and she's walking normal i'm telling telling you something. Prayer works. Prayer is powerful. No matter how, if it's a financial need, God can provide financially. If you pray, look, if your pipes freeze in the winter, God can unfall your fountain. God can open up the pipes of your faucet. And if your child has cerebral palsy, God has the power by his blood to heal a body. Doesn't matter what it is. Prayer knows no ends. Prayer has no limitations. I don't know about you, but prayer is powerful. Prayer is exciting. And we ought to take a moment and rejoice. Hallelujah. As we stand together. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
I don't know the outcome, and they don't know the outcome of all what's going on in Selah's body, but obviously God's up to something. God's doing something, and we're just believing that when they go back to the therapist and go back to the doctor, God's going to use that story for his glory. And I told her the moment she began to share that story, God quickened my mind to the, the centurion who went to Jesus. And Jesus was ready to go to the centurion's house. And he says, I'm not worthy. Remember, prayer is humbling. I'm not worthy for you to come to my house. But I believe your word. Speak the word. And my, my servant will be whole. I ask you, do you believe the spoken word? The written word? I'm not worthy. When I pray bold or when I pray with confidence and persuasion, it's not because I think I'm something. It's because I know I'm nothing. But with him, all things are possible. We either believe this book or we don't. And I don't believe this, the, the, these, these, these verses are just for some select few way back when. And God just you know, said, you know what? After the birth of the church, I want church to get more dead, dry, boring, rigid, stoic. I want it to be the most miserable process ever. I want when you pray that you yawn the whole time and you just don't ever want to pray. I just, you think that's what God wants? For like every year that passed by for 2,000 years, church is just deader? No way. God's more powerful now than he's ever been. God's all powerful. And so I said, as I was talking to her, I just said, it's just kind of like that centurion. He believed the word of Jesus and that, and he, every, and he started walking home and every step closer, he went by faith, humbly, knowing that he's not worthy. That, that miracle was encroaching. That miracle was manifesting. And we got to realize every step we take, every session of prayer we take, if we do it with faith, Humbly, in prayer, believing the word of God, you're one step closer. You are in the proximity of the miracle manifesting. Jesus is the one who promised this. Jesus promised that he would be prompt if we would just be persistent in prayer. And Jesus will show up. It may not be now. It might be later. But I promise you, God will show up. God will show out. It's kind of like those lepers, those, those leprous men, as they walk towards that, that army. And every time they walked, that army heard the sounds of chariots and the sounds of thunder, and they all fled, and they had a feast to themselves. I'm telling you, that's what God has in store in prayer. If you're here today and you do not have a daily prayer life, you're missing. You're missing so much. You're missing some. Now, please don't don't be offended by this. I want you to be encouraged or provoked or challenged. If you're here and if you are praying daily and it's only five minutes, you're missing. There's more. There's more. If you're here and you you pray 20 minutes a day and you've been praying that way for the past year or two. Just letting you know there's more. There's more. If you're here and you consistently pray for 30 minutes and it's been that way for a year, two years, three years, I, I, I congratulate you. I celebrate you. But I'm telling you, there's more. If you're here and you pray an hour a day every day, that's awesome. That is to be commended. But I want you to know there's more. There's more. Look, I, I don't stand in front of you thinking I'm someone that's arrived. I feel convicted. My goal this year, and you, you, could, you can misinterpret this statement all you want, that's fine. But my goal is three hours a day. I'm, I average two hours of prayer a day, but I'm like, God, I, I want to go further. I want more. Because I, I meet missionaries, and I meet men of God that are putting it all on the line. And they're not, they're not seeing mighty exploits by just hanging out with God every other day once a week for two minutes. No, they have a relationship with God. They walk in the Spirit. They're led by the Spirit. They have a hold of God. If you're here today, and you want to be a part of, of this. You want to grow in your prayer life. You want to learn more about prayer. You want to have a teachable spirit about prayer. I, I invite you to come forward. I, I hope everybody would want to, but I'm not going to embarrass. I'm not going to force anyone, but I want you to come up here standing and we're going to, we're going to pray together. I, I really do feel the Holy ghost in, in, in these next, this, these next few weeks. I feel the Holy ghost right now, but I, I especially feel God prompting us for these next few weeks as we focus on prayer because, look, a, a praying church is a powerful church. A prayerless church is a powerless church. If we want to, look, 
It's not by our might. It's not by our power. It's by his spirit. There's real evil in Watertown. There's real wickedness. There's wickedness in Coddington County. There is corruption in South Dakota. And look, we cannot build a big enough building, have fancy enough music, have nice enough delivery and and all that kind of stuff to set someone free from an addiction. We don't have all this ingenuity to put a marriage back together. We're not smart enough. We're not fancy enough. We're not clever enough. It's not by our might. It's not by our power. It's going to be by the spirit of God. But if we're going to be in the spirit, we got to be found in prayer. And wherever you're at in your prayer life, I'm not insulting you. I'm just trying to encourage you to realize what's been given to us as an opportunity to have a deep relationship with God so we can grow in him and we can be used of him. If you're ready and you desire, I want you to lift your hands and I want you to begin to talk to God right now. Let him hear your voice. Jesus, I want to be a man of prayer. God, I want to be passionate about prayer. In the name of Jesus. That's it. Lift up your voice. Lift up your voice. Lift up your voice. God, make us a house of prayer.